Jim Joyce. I hey. I know we say this every week, and it's like, okay, it's Wednesday, and we're here, and wow, it's a crazy week. But I I don't know why, like this week especially, just like what? It's Wednesday already, or is it already Wednesday? Like I don't even know which which side of it. Uh, which is good. It's that's the fun part of it, right? Getting through the week. It's all good. It's all good, man. I am. I'm just. I'm just out of a swim here in the Venetian Riviera. I'm, oh, I'm, uh, that, that's right. <laughs> that, you know what? I apologize, Emmy. Um, I, you know, that you're on a holiday, and we're, you know, we're stealing you, Jim Joyce, away from Emmy and family. So, uh, thank you for making it. Hey, to our this, is all, this is all part of. The- all part of the therapy she probably enjoys <laughs> the break. She tries the break. <laughs> Love it. Um, yeah, we'll, we're, looks like we're, we might also head into uh, Italy uh, next week, actually, for a day or two oh, nice. uh, to awesome. uh, help my, my older one move from one apartment to the other. But uh, lots, lots of balls in the air from travel perspective. It's funny, uh, before we let our guest in, who is anxiously waiting, um, uh, we, um, you know, we kind of I keep getting asked like, oh, when are you guys coming to U.S.? I mean, we're a U.S. focused business, right? Uh, it's uh, every, everything is just late into the night. Um, and my answer is we're coming. I just don't know where in U.S. for how long and when, but we're coming. Like, no doubt about it. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, um, no, awesome. I, I love this meticulously unproduced like iPhone, you know, this awesome <laughs> Um, but let's let, so we're going to have Mr. Paul Johnson, uh, joining us. Um, Great. I, I was actually racking my brain where Paul, um, welcome. First of all, I was just kind of given a little bit of background, um, how we met. Um, and you know, I was racking my brain when we first kind of reconnected, uh, thanks to Matthew Holt and Jess, I think it was like. I forget, a pair, something, VCs. I, I can never remember the actual conference name that they put on. Um, techies, VCs, something. But anyway, I was racking my brain on where we met. And I, I have a feeling like it was like in London ages ago when you were just getting lemonade cracking. Uh, but I could be wrong. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Eugene, I think it was, which would probably be maybe seven or eight years ago so um makes sense i've known each other a little while um thank you so jim great to meet you thank you so much for having me on and um yeah really excited to talk to you excellent excellent i'm 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 calling from the beach i just just this is only an attempt to make everyone uh jealous you know who's not (laughs) at the beach (laughs) very what what, what beach are you at jim Uh, just outside of Venice, uh, Lido di Esolo uh, on the Adriatic. Oh wow! So, wow. Well, but yes, if I start, if li- I'm a little jealous. <laughs> if I start sweating, I'm gonna go outside. I just I was waiting for them to stop cleaning the beach for a second here. Well, but a pleasure to meet you, Paul. I... <laughs> and you, I mean, Paul, you're in San Diego now, right? If I'm not mistaken. Um, or... Yeah. So. So we split time between Southern California and San Francisco. So at the moment, I'm in San Francisco, uh, where we're having a little bit of a heat wave, actually. And yeah. and I think, you know, we're not really used to it here in the city. So uh, the 91 degree high that it hit yesterday um, was tough, I would say, <laughs> certainly for an English guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we've been seeing some good streaks here and there in London as well, uh, uh, you know. 
people are people have been talking about that. Uh, we actually had a little rain here in Barcelona, but anyway, we're now talking about weather, and we haven't even gotten to introduce yourself, Paul, to our millions of listeners and followers. So you know, you guys too met already, but would love to follow your journey, whichever way and shape, way or form you want to take us through, and then we'll interrupt as usual. Perfect. Well, thank you, Eugene, for giving me the chance, and. Um, Thank you to the millions of viewers and followers um, <laughs> who um, support this podcast. So, um, so I guess um, starting at the beginning, um, I'm Paul. I uh, was born in England, grew up in a tiny little countryside village in the middle of nowhere in the West Midlands. If any of you have seen the movie Hot Fuzz with Simon Pegg, um, you'll have an idea of the sort of movie that I grew up in. If you haven't seen that movie, it's very funny and entertaining. Um, when I is it, a, is it a family oh, movie? You haven't seen it? <laughs> yeah, you can. Well, I think it's a fa- I think it's family friendly. Yeah, yeah. Okay, it's, a, okay. it's about this this um, British cop who um, gets uh, uh, was is working in London, falls out with his superiors, and gets sent off to this tiny village um, in the countryside, and clashes with perhaps how things happen in the village relative to how things happen right. in London. So it's, it's, a, it's an entertaining story, but um, uh, it's, uh, um, it was a beautiful place to grow up in. And, and I actually had the opportunity to spend some time growing up in the Netherlands as well. When I turned eight yeah. as a family, we moved from England to the Netherlands, um, which was just an amazing experience. And I got the opportunity to learn Dutch. Uh, I would say Dutch is a great language and also perhaps one of the most useless languages in the world, given the 17 million people in Holland all speak perfect English and love so, speaking yeah. English. I'm, I'm going to show off. Who has it, Matu? Heel goed, dankjewel. We perfect. could do the rest of the podcast in Dutch if you'd like. Um, right, right. Then we would, no. we would chase off the last million viewers. <laughs> yeah, there's million viewers. <laughs> um, I, one of the great experiences for me is I, I went to a, a British school, but it, but it was really very international and got the opportunity to um, go through high school with people and friends from, from all around the world. So that was just an, an amazing experience for I, me. Um, I, I, I don't think I realized that. I don't know if we talk, but uh, my the family and I, we actually spent five years in Amsterdam. So just before moving to Germany and now Spain. So anyway, we'll, 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 we'll have other stories to share on that one then separately. <laughs> Um, When I turned 16, we moved as a family back to England. Uh, So I finished my my high schooling, went to college, started my career in in the UK. And then in 2013, moved to the US because I saw an opportunity to create uh, a direct consumer version of digital healthcare using technology that certainly at the time, people seem to think that we were pretty crazy and from outer space, maybe speaking a different language, in fact, and I guess in some ways maybe we were, um, but at least a different version of English. Um, but, um, but we really felt like there was an opportunity to create a consumerized version of tele, what was it being called at the time, telehealth, and something other than putting doctors and patients on Skype. So, so essentially using technology to do much more than just be the communication channel to use technology really to make healthcare more accessible, more affordable, more convenient, and improve the quality of healthcare using algorithms and protocols embedded in that technology. Um, and uh, we were doing that for eight years. As I said, it was it was tough, certainly in the beginning, because people really just thought we were pretty crazy, I'd say. 
uh, and that was both potential partners, investors. This direct consumer healthcare thing will never take off. And um, and uh, so it was quite a, people often talk about, I guess, the startup being a roller coaster ride for us. It definitely was that with some ups and definitely a lot of downs, but uh, uh, an amazing experience. And then in November last year, we ended up being acquired by 23andMe after eight eight years of um, that roller coaster ride, and and it's just been phenomenal since then. So uh, maybe I'll maybe I'll pause pause. Yeah, there. I was going to say there's so so many things to like you know pack uh, pick at or or you know peel apart. Um, I guess you know interestingly, I think um, and and some of these things are starting to come back, right? Because for me, memory wise, um, so 2013 you started uh lemonade right um and you started in us but i'm trying to remember because we met um there was some like either online or physical pharmacy chains that were spun out of uh, you know what silesia right was it spun out of silesia that's right exactly you you have a uh, phenomenal memory eugene Um, well the the reason another one of your many talents no, no, it's it's actually a horrible memory, but it's it's coming back because it was it was live. Um, but I it it it's funny that it just all. I'm I'm so excited that my memory just uh, you know kind of came back. Because um, uh, the reason what, what that, else have you remembered that you've forgotten? <laughs> <laughs> um, I um, Any, uh, so anything the, else podcast friendly or all the other things? Yeah, <laughs> well, uh, you know, I'll I'll save I'll save it for Marina. Um, so we'll, we'll but no, uh, you know, I don't want to I don't want to uh, bore our millions of users. But the reason we went to Amsterdam is because uh, of a role I took with Metco, which is the Metco Silesia joint venture and based in Amsterdam that whole thing. And that, now it all clicks back. Anyway, but yeah, back so, to the learning. Yeah. No, you're, you're absolutely right. So immediately before moving to the US, I was working at Lloyd's Pharmacy that um, was part of Silesio and, and McKesson. And one, one part of my role there was to lead this business that Lloyd's Pharmacy had acquired called Dr. Tom, which as we understood it. it at the time was, was probably the first implementation of telehealth in the UK and perhaps in Europe. We certainly weren't calling it telehealth at the time. We were calling it sort of online doctor visits because we hadn't, I guess, come up with a name for it yet. But but it was essentially telehealth. And 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 that was a very uh, big part of the Lloyd's Pharmacy digital transformation strategy when I was at, at Lloyd's Pharmacy and, uh, and involved in it there in the UK. So a great memory, Eugene. Um, so, you know, back to my... No, go ahead, Jessica. As you're yeah, showing yeah. off your no, just, beach just view. a little bit more on, on lemonade. <laughs> I was I was dying of heat in there, but um, j- just just a little bit more on lemonade. Um, you know, what, like for for someone lo- explaining it in a in a real real quick fashion, what would it do, or how would I interact with it as the as a consumer? So the way that we thought about it, and at the time this was, I think, a very disruptive mindset was. Getting access to healthcare should be much more similar to booking a hotel or booking a restaurant reservation. Whereas at the moment, getting access to healthcare through the traditional in-person healthcare system is painful, to say the least. And the digital implementations of that at the time replicated much of that pain. So so the, the initial implementations of telehealth, in my experience in the US, was essentially do what happens in person, but let's just give you this video communication channel 
to do it virtually instead, but, but have all those same workflows, do exactly the same thing, but just do it over video. And, and we wanted to take a very different approach to that. So our approach was how can we build a product experience so the healthcare interaction is in the product experience rather than the product just being a communication channel. So you get you you start suffering from a sinus infection rather than having to sit on a video visit for 20 minutes where you're being asked questions and you're providing answers and you ultimately get to an outcome. What if much of that was in a digital product experience, much more like the product experience we're used to in any, in any other industry? And then at the end of that, if necessary, there's a telephone call or a video interaction with a medical professional to make the ultimate diagnosis and treatment decision. So the benefit of putting a lot of it in the product experience is it's much more favorable from the patient's perspective. We reduce the amount of time a medical professional needs to spend per patient. Um, at the time, we talked about 10 times less time. And what 10 times less time mean? 10 times less time means 10 times lower cost for the patient. So that medical professional can see 10 times as many people in that same amount of, of, of time that they're spending. So better, lower cost of care. Um, we can embed clinical algorithms and protocols to make sure that we always ask the right questions in the right way and we document the, document the right answers. One of the things that technology is great at is making sure we always ask the right questions and always store a record of those answers. And we can use the algorithms and protocols to help guide those medical professionals to make more standardized, consistent, better quality clinical decisions because we've embedded that in technology. Um, and I think the way that we like, like to talk about it at the time is no matter how great one doctor's brain is, however great of a doctor she is, she's never gonna be as great as millions and millions of data points embedded in technology and algorithms. So if you can augment that amazing experience with the output and the data from these technology um, protocols, you can provide lower cost, better quality care that's more efficient and more convenient for patients. And ultimately, patients prefer it, so they so they do it more often. We have a higher throughput and conversion rate than you would see in, in a traditional healthcare system. You know, you, you mentioned um, you were crazy 2013, a direct-to-consumer version, right? And actually, if I rewind back to the, you know, the health 2.0s and health consumerism, right? Um, if I look at kind of the waves is, you know, health 2.0, late 2000 and I don't know, eight, seven, whatever, right? Health consumerism alive, but nobody could find a business model. So everybody, all these companies shifted towards B2B. You know, 2013 was still kind of the B2B world. Now, if you look at, you know, hims and hers, row, you know, again, I don't want to keep listing, uh, you know, Lemonade. names. Well, that's a given, right? So I'm just adding more. That's uh, why you're here. Um, but, you know, it, this is the norm. But, the, you know, the question still, and, and interestingly enough, right? And again, I don't know where Lemonade slash 23andMe, which we'll talk more. But, you know, many of these hims and hers and Roa talks about, you know, forward, you know, going to employers and B2B again, right? Um I guess the question where I'm trying to go to is this health consumerism that we've been talking about for a decade plus, if not longer, is it alive? Does it depend? You know, just curious on your thoughts, right? I mean, you built a company around it. I, there's not a straightforward answer, I don't think. I think the, the most direct answer is it depends. But I believe the high level shift 
is the consumerization of healthcare. And I think that that is a great thing for health consumers, health patients. I, I certainly, when I think back eight years ago, if I had said at that time that we should start thinking about patients as consumers, I don't think that would have been well received by the healthcare system or by many people. I think there was a view that, that people are not consumers when they interact with the healthcare system, they're patients. And, and I, I strongly disagree with that. I, I believe that when interacting with the healthcare system, you are of course a patient, but you are also a consumer and more and more you are a consumer. And I think there's a few big picture trends that are influencing that. One is the, the, the selection of, health insurance plans that mm -hmm. patients are opting for. Patients are, are, are more and more opting for lower monthly premiums, which come with higher co-pays and higher deductibles. So are therefore more and more personally incentivized to shop around, I, I think we would call it in, an, in any other industry, or at least behave like a consumer and really thinking, you know, there's a number of options that I could, that I could pick. Some of those are traditional in person, some of those are digital, some of those are a combination. Which one is right for me, given, given me as an individual and my financial situation, given the health insurance system that, I, that I've picked? Um, and I think the other point that, that speaks in favor of this idea of, of consumerization of healthcare is that more and more, I think there's a realization that we can't treat people as the mean of the population anymore. So mm -hmm. Eugene, when you turn 50, you should do a certain thing or a number of things. When I turn 50, I should do a certain thing or a number of things, but that's wrong. Um, it might be that when you turn 54, you should do something. And when I turn 47, I should do something. Depending on our family histories, our genetics, our lifestyle choices. Um, and your blood pressure target shouldn't be 120 over 80 and mine shouldn't be 120 no. over 80. It, it's, there's, a, there's this, I think more and more, this personalization that we should treat patients as individuals and personalized healthcare. And I think that, that that's going to be a fantastic thing. And we're ultimately going to be able to live healthier, longer lives by, by creating experiences around that concept. For, for the record, uh, Marina always says that I'm 12 years old, no matter what in here. So I, I'm <laughs> well, not, I, I refuse to, I, I refuse to grow up. <laughs> my, my prescription no my prescription for you, Eugene, is uh, a week at the beach. A week at the beach, chilling out, <laughs> just relaxing. That's what you do when you're 50. Yeah. <laughs> just before, just before I got online here, uh, Martin Kelly, one of our our buddies, which Paul you may be familiar with, um, he he tweeted, or he was tweeting a, a comment of, "Do you agree or disagree?" I don't know if you saw that one, Eugene. No. Um, and it was a it was a coffee mug that says that said, you know, don't mistake your Google search for my medical degree. And, 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 you know, and then the comment was, do you agree or you disagree? And, you know, when I, when I, I couldn't help but think about that as Paul, as you're talking about this consumerization, because, you know, my perspective on that are, are kind of both are true, right? Like, like the meaning, you know, value my Google search and value my opinion and value my perspective, which may have come from you know, a phenomenal piece of technology like Google, but also value your medical degree. I don't know if you have a perspective on that. I think that's right. And I think like many things, there's a spectrum. There's at one end, there's full empowerment to the patient to make um, their own diagnosis and treatment decisions. And that, that is, of course, not um, sensible. 
But at the other end, and I believe we are too far at the other end, or have historically been too far at the other end, we've we've really not empowered patients. We haven't given them the tools, the data, the ownership, the their medical records even. Um, and and I feel like there's a balance in the middle. And and of course, Google should never replace um, both a medical degree and many years of medical experience. But at the same time. I'm an individual and I, I know me better than anyone else does. And, and I feel like there is, a, there is that right balance to, to strive. And it's important we get that balance right because if we shift too far a, away from, from that model that I think is, is sort of very hand-holding from the healthcare system, then, 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 then we're not in a good place either. But we need to figure out how to get that balance right and where, where, where it's appropriate to lean a little more on empowering the patient. I, I just want to add In very part, quickly, so, sorry, just very quickly on this, right? And, and you know, there are people like Gilles and ePatient Dave, right? And Regina Holiday and all the people that we sort of, you know, around that patient empowerment, but also people that literally, uh, quote unquote, save their own lives. Again, surrounded by the clinicians and doctors, but you know, we are the ones that are responsible ultimately for our own body, you know, health and well-being. Um, and, you know, again, back to what, what the system has become where doctors has eight, eight minutes to see you. And, you know, that ranges, of course. Right. But how, how are they really able to get to that? Right. And so we, I think, as patients and health consumers need to come prepared knowing what our potential ailments are. We're not diagnosing, at least I'm not. Right. But. Anyway, I, I also can spend hours on this alone, but sorry, Jim, go ahead. No, I was going to ask, like, Paul, what did you train as? I, I, I don't know if I, what did you train as before from hot fuzz to Dutch speaking to <laughs> uh, San Francisco to building this incredible consumer company? What, what, what was your background? Um, it was in IT, computer science and business management. So, so certainly not healthcare okay. and, and, um, some of my first roles were in, um, in, in e-commerce marketing, essentially how to build digital online experiences that are traditionally offline experiences, but in, in non-healthcare roles. And then I had the opportunity to join Lloyd's Pharmacy and lead the online and digital teams at Lloyd's Pharmacy, including the, the Dr. Tom business we mentioned earlier. Sure. And, and that for me was the ultimate realization that, that the, the biggest challenge if we're thinking about how do we build digital experiences that, that replace or augment or improve um, traditional physical experiences, healthcare is, represents the biggest challenge in doing that, um, but also the biggest opportunity. And, and for me, the most meaningful and, and the reason why I've um, continued to stay in healthcare. So I think Dr. Tom, I mean, just as, as sorry, so I think as uh, Dr. Tom's also serviced Ireland where I'm generally based out of and, um, and that was just a gutsy, uh, you know, phenomenal, you know, evolution of the healthcare system, which, you know, it was just so exciting to see that emerge and then to see it emerge from a big player. Does that, I mean, how do you look back on those days and your Dr. Tom days kind of launching those services? Yeah, so no, it was uh, scary. <laughs> it was, I mean, it, it, I think, you know, when I reflect, Lloyd's Pharmacy were really doing something very innovative. The decision to acquire the Dr. Tom business was, um, was an amazing one. I think they were then able to make it a huge success uh, by scaling it very quickly, launching a new market, 
Um, we also we also launched in Australia, which was uh, also an amazing experience. And and the 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 way that the the lemonade ties into Dr. Tom is is uh, Dr. Tom was co-founded by uh, Dr. Tom Van Every, a, a, a GP in the UK, and his brother Ian Van Every. And Ian Van Every is my co-founder at Lemonade. So um, that's how uh, oh, that's how those stories tie. It, it, it all comes together. I love it. Uh, so let's get to the hot, hot topic. Uh, always curious, right? Because um, as you're building, scaling the business, right? There's a knock on your door um, and calls you maybe directly or not, um, 23andMe and with Jiki, right? Um, the decision process of an entrepreneur to sell or not to sell, right? Um, and, and kind of the opportunity because 23andMe is such a consumer company. You were coming very much from a clinical you know, healthcare uh, perspective, right? Um, how, how does that all come together? <laughs> Your decision. So I, at that point, and when I, I got that call, uh, that we'd, we'd been on about an eight-year roller coaster ride. And certainly one of, the, one of the many things I reflect on is how fortunate we were to have recruited an amazing team at Lemonade. And so many of the early team members had been on that whole journey with us. So um, I think, you know, as I reflect, we wouldn't have been able to, to, to have achieved what we had achieved if we hadn't have been fortunate in recruiting such amazing people. Um, and I think my role as CEO of Lemonade was always to think about what's the next thing? What's the next wave? What's our next act, essentially? And we were on uh, a path to explore a number of options last year including like many companies, including digital health companies, was exploring going public via SPAC. And, and that was a path that certainly at one point was our preferred path and somewhere heading, heading towards. And then, as you said, Eugene, I got, I got the call from Anne, um, actually via an, an angel investor in Lemonade. And uh, at, 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 I very quickly realized that, that there was this phenomenal opportunity to combine genetics and the provision of healthcare to build personalized healthcare at scale for the first time. And, and many of the things that we were thinking about at Lemonade, many of the things that we wanted to achieve, I realized that we could achieve by being part of 23andMe and that this match made so much sense. So I got very excited about it as we started to talk about the concept with the wider team at Lemonade. The wider team at Lemonade got very excited about it. And in November last year, we became part of the team. Did you do like a dance when you got that call? No, I don't <laughs> You know, I think like, like, any, like anything, you know, I, I, I of course have learned so much uh, yeah. uh, through, through Lemonade, but, but um, that, that, that process of seeing if there was a fix and then a fit and then ultimately realizing, wow, there is. And then, and then going through the process of making that acquisition happen, you know, like so many things is so much more complicated than, than you could ever imagine um, until you're in it and through it. So I think, you know, even when we got to the end of it, it was sort of a, okay, now we got to make it work. Now, now, now we got to get back to work. So, so there wasn't really a time to do that dance, Eugene. But um, uh, I hear sometime you. I will. <laughs> well, you you know, it's always right. It's uh, it's like okay, I, I you celebrate you, I the win. I thought he was going to say Eugene. <laughs> yes, yes. Go, go ahead, Jim. You're you're delayed quite a bit. I, I thought go he was going to say. 
I'll, I'll stop talking. But I said, I, I thought you were going to say like any good Englishman, you know, you were going to wait to do the dance, you know, until you were sure the cat, you, everything was in place, you know. <laughs> But I'll go on. I'll go on mute here. <laughs> no, no, no. All, all, all good. Just uh, for um, well, I, I was, I was, I was going to say that you know, it's, it's, it's always about right. Uh, kind of in the entrepreneurial journey, um, I always kind of use that graphic that scene. It's like, it's f f f f f f f f f f f. Yay, right? <laughs> or, or kind of, it, it, well, the, 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 the reverse from that perspective, but it's, you know, you got to celebrate the wins, but just get back to it, right? I mean, that's, that's, the, that, that's the key always. And, you know, uh, even for, you know, I think for 23andMe, right, um, you know, as a, as a kind of consumer-facing genetic company, I, I you know, I think uh, I was one of the earlier ones back in, in, in day also. I still have my, my results are log in once in a while. Um, but for, for 23andMe to recognize, to bring kind of the power of Lemonade and your, your real clinical diligence and, and processes and backgrounds. And, you know, of course, the life sciences uh, component to both sides of it. You know, maybe just talk a little bit more in the rationale uh, that's, that, that was out there to combining the two entities. Yeah, I think the, the, the high-level concept of 23andMe's desire to provide personalized healthcare to patients. So, so going that step further than providing the results, providing those results and then providing a solution that's personalized for you as an individual. And that, that conceptually to me was really exciting. So the opportunity for the Lemonade team and I to be part of building that out was really exciting. And I, and I think the more Anne and I spoke, the more we realized that there was great alignment in terms of the team culture, the mission, the future vision. And I think those are the things that are really important to make an acquisition successful. So um, it all came together and, and I'm really um, so happy that it did. So do you have time for like extracurriculum activities and other things? I know, you know, I, I try to. What, what, what are your fun things to do? Um, not too much, but I do have a bit of time to play a sport called pickleball. So pickleball is the fastest growing sport in the US by quite some margin, I hear. And if the million viewers haven't heard of pickleball, <laughs> if you imagine tennis, ping pong and badminton, so tennis, ping pong and badminton, all having a baby, they would probably create something that looked a little <laughs> bit like pickleball. And I became really addicted to pickleball uh, just before the start of COVID, actually, and um, love playing it. For me, it's my exercise. It's my mental relief. I compete in some professional-level pickleball tournaments, almost always not doing very well. But I, that's, that's what I do to, to, to really um, re-energize. Fascinating. Honestly, never heard of pickleball, but I'm definitely oh. going to look it up. Um, wow, um, pr pretty amazing. And and it's not an Olympic yeah. sport, is it? I don't know. I'm just you know, not yet. It is. It is not yet an Olympic sport, Eugene. <laughs> but <laughs> love it. I've heard phenomenal. I've, I've heard phenomenal retirement communities as well. Like it's kind of young people, older people, like everyone's, you know, pickleball's in and you got to get a pickleball court in your, in your Barcelona. Wow. I, I'm going to, I'm going to look it up. I mean, I, I love, I, I love 
ping pong. Um, we we're just talking. I just had um, Brian Harris from Med Rhythms on my, you know, the, the other podcast that I cheat on you with, Jim, the, the more professional one. Yeah. Um, so br- apparently Brian Harris is also a big fan of ping pong. So we're going to play at uh, health in, in Vegas. Hopefully we can find a table. Yeah. So, nice. uh, you know, may- maybe we'll find a field and you'll teach us pickleball. Sounds like it's a g- gathering. <laughs> I have to, I have to say, Paul, uh, in a, in a, I hope you guys, if you guys can hear me, I, the, the most effective medical appointment I've ever had. And it, it was and and I think, the idea of working with 23andMe, I mean, just just such an iconic uh, brand and product and just revolutionized, you know, just kind of really captured the world's imagination about, you know, how to leverage, you know, this type of testing. But, you know, was I, I got a genetic test um, at a digital health conference kind of, you know, during the break and they did a test and I got a call, you know, maybe a month later and, you know, they I filled out a survey you know, about my circumstances from a health perspective. And then they combined that with the genetic data and it was the most effective clinical appointment. I can still remember almost word for word, everything that was said to me during that appointment. I couldn't about other clinical appointments, but it was so personalized to me that, um, you know, just, I, yeah, I think this is really exciting work you're going to be doing. Yeah. And I think my, my personal opinion is there's two parts of that. First of all, it was more valuable to you because it was personalized. And it was more memorable to you because it was personalized as well. And I think how many times do you leave, you know, as you said, you do maybe the eight minutes you got to spend with, with a medical professional. And then you've sort of forgotten, you know, some parts of that. Was it, was I supposed to do this two times a day or, 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 or when did I right. have to, to check in again? Whereas if something is really personalized to you, it's more memorable. So, so I think the adherence jumps up and, and I just feel, I really feel like the future of healthcare has to be one where we're treating patients slash consumers with as individuals and creating personalized experiences, mm. personalized recommendation for, for you. And, and that can be based on your, your family history, your lifestyle choices, where you live, who you are um, and your genetics. I think it was fascinating to me when I was thinking about the, um, you know, I was shown, say, the risk of cardiovascular, the risk of prostate cancer, the risk of multiple sclerosis, the risk of even like mental health disorders. They had some markers for that. And, you know, and it was so clear where you're focusing it to go, you know, so like, as a, you know, I'm 52. So as a 52, it was like, you know, it's like prostate cancer, cardiovascular, you know, my, my risk of multiple sclerosis was something, but it wasn't really statistically yeah. significant so you know what do you want to test for what do you want to look after and um yeah I, I, is that kind of where you see this go is that kind of your role or is that service already in play right now i i definitely think that's that's the future and, and absolutely the opportunity and i think testing testing should be personalized uh and i think another example that is is that genetics influence your genetics influences uh, in some circumstances, what medication you're more likely or less likely to absorb, so therefore it's more or less likely to be effective, mm. and what medication you're more or less likely to have side effects to as well. So, um, and I, I, I have never heard of any experience, uh, uh, certainly in a primary care setting, where someone says, "Let's have you got your genetic data so I can make sure I'm prescribing the medication that's going to be most effective for you." But I, I see a future world where that's the case. Awesome, Jim. Are you are you ready Phenomenal. for your famous question? 
totally, totally. So Paul, just picture yourself, um, you know, I guess sitting uh, outside of a, a pickleball tournament and you're talking to a, a young recently, uh, an, Eng an Englishman that speaks multiple languages and, you know, grew up in a, you know, an iconic kind of village uh, police town <laughs> where a famous, uh, famous film of a police show was filmed. And you're sitting there and, I, and this young person is, is just, he just come up with this phenomenal idea. And basically what he has is a, a piece of technology that allows you know, genetic analysis and AI driven uh, prescriptions to be released to, you know, right at the point of prescription inside a doctor's office. And you're looking at him and, and he's, a, he's a young version of you. What, what advice would you give that young entrepreneur as he was starting off on his business? I think the summary is three things. I would say do it get advice and get fantastic people around you. So I, I think the, of course, the, the concept is daunting to either leave your secure full-time job or, or move to, you know, a different country to, to pursue an opportunity. And, but it is also in my experience, the most, one of the most rewarding things from a career perspective and a, and a, a growth, personal growth development perspective that you can ever do. And I think that the advice that I tend to give is figure out how you can do it in a, in a, in a way that's, that's as least risky as possible, at least at the beginning. There's, I think sometimes this concept that the way to start a business is you've got to go out and, and raise loads of money from VCs. And that's really hard and, and, and not the path you have to follow at the beginning. Um, I, my advice would be figure out how to just start to do this on the side maybe to start with or or in a way where you're really just giving yourself six months um, to figure out whether you you do want to do it whether you're truly passionate about it uh, because it's tough it's 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 one of the hardest things that, that you can do and and certainly in our experience there were some real ups that were fantastic but there are a lot of downs as well and you gotta you gotta be you gotta be in it to be able to grind through those downs um, I think the other thing that I wish that I had done earlier in my career and definitely earlier in my uh, career at Lemonade was get a coach, get a CEO coach. And uh, I, I, I did that for the first time about four years ago. And the, the value that I got from, from having a coach who had, who had been through some of the challenges that I'd been through before um, was, was, just, was just unbelievable. And, and I think the, the second part of that is surround yourself by by other entrepreneurs who've been through this. Surround yourself with, with people who've been through being on that journey because you can save yourself a number of years by avoiding some of the mistakes that other people have made and, and, and be open to asking and, and talking to other entrepreneurs and other CEOs. And as I do that, I, I, I always remind myself how open people are and how um, fortunate I feel that people are open to giving advice and guidance. And, and I think the final point is the difference between being successful or not is your ability to recruit an amazing team who believe passionately in what you're building and, and the mission that you're striving for and, and, and the difference you want to make. And, um, and I think, you know, as a CEO, your three most important jobs are recruit amazing people, make sure you've got enough money to do what you're going to do, and articulate that vision and inspire people around you to really get behind you and do that. And um, if you do that, you know, you've got a good yep. chance of being successful. 
I, I, awesome. I don't know why I've been, uh, so thank you for that, Paul. Yeah, um, I, I don't know why I've been, like, last couple of weeks especially, I mean, there's this, this nomenclature of always be, you know, selling, always be closing, but I also say always be recruiting, right? I mean, it literally, you know, talking to individuals constantly is, you know, talent is everything. Talent is absolutely everything. Yeah, completely. Well, Paul, and you're, I think, you're in. and I think, you know, if you can find people who've done some element of what you're doing in the next few years before, then you've got a real head start. Like that's not always possible, particularly if you're doing something completely new that 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 one else has done. But 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 there are sometimes still pockets of you know we need to build out this secure platform that's going to be based on algorithms and protocols. No one's done it in healthcare before, but let's look in other industries and find people who've done it in other industries where that's translatable. So I think that's a that that's a, an important thing to think about too. Amazing. Well, your your enthusiasm your enthusiasm is infectious, and you're doing uh, very very important work. I can't wait to get my genetic testing and my integrated healthcare system done together on the back of your good work. So, well done. Awesome, Jim. Thank you, um, Eugene. Um, this has been great. The only disappointing part for me is that you hadn't heard of pickleball. So um, um, we will, now uh, I have. We will, we will address offline. that. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. And for the millions of listeners and viewers, just hit subscribe, pass it on and see you next week.